Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Alexis. And today we're talking about season five, episode seven, titled JMM. Do you know what that stands for? Just make money. Wrong. It's Jimmy Morgan McGill. Damn. You showed me up again. Wrong. It's <laughs> Justice Matters Most. Wrong. It's Jack Lopes. Making Make money. money. Damn. <laughs> uh, yeah, what'd you think of JMM? I liked it. There were a couple of explosions. And a I'm couple? always up for explosions, yes. Well, one was more of an emotional explosion. Oh, okay. Yes. But yes. What did you think of it? Uh, I also really, really liked it. Um, coming off of last episode where Kim sort of proposed a... <laughs> proposed, no pun... A ridiculous plan here um, for them to get married in order to essentially cover their their illegal tracks. I didn't know how I felt about that. Well, I, I kind of knew how I felt about it. I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it from a from a viewer standpoint, but I didn't like it from a Kim standpoint. After seeing it go down this episode and them actually get married and and watching that moment, I understand it a little more like Kim's side of it, but it still feels real dumb. Real, real dumb on her part. Very risky on her part. Oh, yeah, extremely. Um, and it doesn't get, you know, any less risky throughout this episode. Like, Or, or I guess the, the amount of risk she's taking on here is impressed upon her even more throughout this episode with their weird, like, opposite day, <laughs> emotional opposite day confessional pact. Yes, which immediately turns around and bites her in the ass, uh-huh. the, like the the next morning, the very next morning. <laughs> of course, of course, Jimmy's not going to settle down at all. Being married, he's just going to get. He's just going to continue to be Jimmy, and things are going to spiral out of control. And I can't wait to see it. Naturally. Uh, all right, let's start the recap where Kim and Jimmy are discussing their arrangement to keep each other informed, which, like I said, seems like this opposite day deal from Jimmy's side. Uh, Huel shows up and offers to do all the things that are associated with weddings, but Jimmy says, this is just a legal thing. No need for that. And they sign the paperwork, and Jimmy asks how Kim feels about the marriage. She says, it's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, She's... <laughs> courthouse is burning around her this is fine she's still very much like in the mode of this is a legal arrangement and i don't really feel any strong emotions but it makes sense to do this and that's sort of betrayed by the next scene um but let's talk about huel's fancy jacket yes please i love those studded lapels so much and the pink underneath (laughs) it was perfect it's amazing uh huel I'm trying to think what's the fanciest I've ever seen Huel. This has got to be it. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then when he offers to swipe a ring and like it's it's just, it's so good. It's so good. And and Bob Odenkirk is playing this like very, it, it, there's a weird line here because like he knows that they're both kind of underworld people, right? And mm-hmm. he's not really like phased when Huel offers to go swipe rings for him. But at the same time, he's just like trying to keep his cool about the emotional side of this. And I think how invested in this this thing he is. Yeah, because so he knows that Kim is not 100% invested in it. So he is right. trying to suppress that in himself. Yeah, he doesn't want to like 
come on too strong, even though they're getting married, which is such a weird <laughs> thing to say. But I, I love how like sweet and just absolutely ride or die Huel is mm-hmm. in the beginning of this scene. It's adorable. It's so criminal, the things that he is offering. <laughs> but then at the end of the scene, he's standing there with a fucking throwaway camera, getting mm-hmm. wedding photos. Adorable. You were totally right, by the way. They did this so that she wouldn't have to testify. She wouldn't be forced to testify yeah. against him. Um, yeah. If things broke bad for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that later on in this episode, we're going to have a bit of legal feedback to talk about that uh, mm-hmm. in more detail. So stay tuned for that exciting morsel um i have so many complaints about the process of this number one 25 dollars are you fucking kidding me mm-hmm. we had to pay 75 for our <laughs> marriage license inflation man it's a bitch yeah 2004 to 2020 and 2019 then, yes and then they were able to get a civil ceremony the same day yeah like five minutes later that's that's so not mad. that's not super realistic here in Cincinnati. I can tell you that much. No, we would have had to wait three months mm-hmm. if we had gone that way. Yeah. Terrible. And even though you know he's protesting about this just being a legal thing, it's definitely not for Jimmy. And you can you can tell he just it's weird because Jimmy I don't think wants to admit that he loves Kim to anyone other than Kim. Yeah. It's like he's he's very walled off with his emotions until they come, you know, bursting out, which we'll see later in this episode. But uh yeah, he doesn't he doesn't want anybody to know that he's in love with the woman he's marrying, it seems. His whole relationship with Kim he keeps kind of on the DL. I don't and I think a lot of that might be just to protect her mm-hmm. as well as his own emotions. Yeah. Because she, he she's is. not super emotional either. No, she's not. But he is a dirtbag and she tries to protect her reputation. I think that's always been a dynamic. In their relationship. She's always been the more straight-laced, legit Mm. person. (laughs) Oh, definitely. So he's always kind of downplayed his his role in the relationship, which is a little sad, but also he's kind of a dirtbag, so... Well, I mean, he pushes around the edges, um, but he also, most of the time, knows when to back off, too. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And also in the scene, they... You know, they ask him for the paperwork about his two marriages before, which was something yeah. that people had been speculating for a long time about in Breaking Bad. Like, there's a line right after um, the I Fuck Ted episode <laughs> where he tells Walt that he caught his second wife screwing his stepdad or something. And mm-hmm. everybody was like, well, could Saul have been married twice? It doesn't really look like he was married in Better Call Saul. Um, but here, I guess we get legal confirmation of that. Yeah, the- Kim is his third wife. Yeah. So it's fresh off of being cheated on however many years ago. That sucks. <laughs> How did... Hmm, okay, second wife screwing my stepdad. Current stepdad? Is that... We don't know how many times his mom's been married. We don't even know what stepdad really means. Yeah. It's a, hmm. Okay, that'd be interesting. Uh, maybe his second wife is going to come back and screw Kim's dad. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that would qualify, right? Where's the? I'm I'm looking I'm looking for the tin foil. Where do we put it? Oh, it's in the kitchen. Okay, that's it's that's a good place found. for it. Nowhere to be found. Also, it's aluminum. It's not tin. It's fair. Uh, all right, Kim and Jimmy get married in the courtroom by a judge in an awkward but thankfully short ceremony. Uh, no glitter, no rice, no bubbles, <laughs> no litter. I couldn't bubbles. help but love those signs. Bubbles. Yeah, what's the big thing? deal with bubbles? I get, well, 
I have many questions about marriage ceremonies just in general, but mm-hmm. I've seen rice. I've seen glitter, I guess, if by that they mean confetti. Mm-hmm. Bubbles. Interesting. I mean, I could see it, but it seems pretty harmless. It's soap. Like, if anything, it just clean up the courtroom. <laughs> no, listen, you have to rinse away soap for it to clean. Otherwise, it's yeah. just sticky. Sticky everywhere. Every, once every six months, you get sticky in there with a hose. everywhere. Maybe that's what was on the ceiling in the courtroom. Yeah, that was disgusting. That was absolutely (laughs) disgusting. We'll talk about that when we get there, but my God. It felt very intentional, but also mad yucky. Uh, I do have a question about this ceremony. Who is this other witness? Is that Huel's wife? Is that Huel's mom? Is that Huel's sister? Like, who is this? I meant to look that up, and I do not know. It is another person. I didn't see anybody mentioning it. Um, I and either. I don't think we've seen her before, but it's somebody. It's a human being. Qualifies as a witness. Uh, halfway through this scene, when they start the ceremony, um, I am like 50% surprised to that they both say I do by the end of this. Like every at the beginning of the scene, I felt like every single moment there was the opportunity for one of them to say, you know what, this is a crazy, ridiculous thing to do. Call it off. Like Jimmy, because he's kind of dooming Kim to this crazy life that he's living, mm-hmm. um, probably feels a little bit of guilt about that. But also Kim, because maybe her better judgment takes over. Yeah. At the end of the day, they are both lawyers, though. They know they can get out of marriage pretty easily. I guess so. Yeah. So it's not like, I don't know, it might not feel the same. I didn't totally appreciate the line where he says oh this might not be what you imagined when you were 12 fucker not everybody is <laughs> dreaming about their wedding day when they're 12 Huel's been dreaming about their wedding some day some people apparently. are looking for lizards in creeks and stuff sorry for a wedding Speaking that's a little weird from personal experience yeah I'm I meant to tell you lizard I tried to get a wedding. lizard caterer oh. but everybody was booked it was just like the civil ceremony <laughs> it was the civil ceremony all over well, again well how long did you wait did you give the requisite 12 month window so here's what to happened the lizard wrangler I had to call and I you know how I am with phones oh yeah you yeah. texted and they didn't respond yep I emailed I texted I called, I stayed on the line for about 10 minutes okay. on hold, and then I hung up. That's generous. Uh, I do have to say, I love the decision to have the judge make them look at each other and say, <laughs> I do, because this makes them like confront any feelings, any personal feelings they have about this relationship right then and there. And if they were ever going to like call it off, or if they were ever going to feel something about this, now is the time. And they do feel something about it, and they both seem to very much be excited about it. On like a personal, emotional level. By the end of it, yeah. In the end, I think they bond over the same thing that they always bond over, which is laughing, one, at the world, and also, two, at someone else. Because <laughs> yeah. as soon as the judge says, okie dokie, Kim's like, trying not to just hold it in. Yeah, she's got no middle name. That's that's not that weird. The judge points it out. I feel like the judge, this judge does not do ceremonies very often, does he? I don't know what this judge's whole thing was. I guess whenever there's not that many people in the room, he's just like, super cash. I guess so. Casual marriage day. He has no uh, prejudices about what people might want for their wedding. (laughs) Might have envisioned as a 12-year-old. He just gets the job done. Yep. So after getting married, Kim heads back to work. Nacho calls Jimmy to tell him that Jorge de Guzman needs his services in court. Jimmy enters his plea and bond, bail, bond, we'll talk about that in a second. Bond is denied until the trial in six weeks. Okay, I had to look up bail versus bond. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know why this judge says bond, and maybe there's some weird New Mexico wrinkle in the law um, that forces people to get bonds rather than just pay bail. Like a BMV I, instead of a DMV? Yeah, but my understanding is that bail, and I'm, I'm sure Doug could help us out on this, bail <laughs> is the money that you would personally pay or your family would personally pay to the court to be released temporarily mm-hmm. uh, while you're awaiting trial. Bond is the loan that you get from a bail bond company to pay your bail. Mm, interesting. That's how I understand it, but there could be, like I said, something in New Mexico law that either forces people to get bonds um, and doesn't allow them to pay it personally or some other weird wrinkle. I didn't even think of that distinction. I just kind of knew it was money, basically. I mean, that's fair. I, I, there was not much I could think of uh, in the moment while I was watching this episode other than that disgusting black stain on the ceiling, <laughs> which they chose to frame right next to Jimmy's head. And I don't know if that's like an intentional, you know, it meant to create a sense of dread about this whole thing that he's getting into with the cartel, like as if we needed more of that. Um, or if that's just simply like, did they stage this thing in an old, converted, <laughs> abandoned office building? That they was wouldn't just... have left it there if it wasn't intentional, because it's so nasty. Surely to God, somebody in the room would have said, hey, what's what's that? Can like, we make that like, not be? Maybe the judge should be saying that. This is a New Mexico courtroom. <laughs> this is an official place of law. Like, they should not. Yeah, just switch those out with like House the ones in the bathroom or something. Just switch the tiles <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. It's the staining of his soul. Has he? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's what it is. You're not wrong. Uh, Okay. So I have questions because obviously Lalo by the end of this can pay his bail, pay his bond, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, The $7 million isn't going to be too much of a problem as long as Saul can get it for him. Do you think this series will end with Lalo in jail or dead because like he's in this war with Gus he's going to be a fugitive like they make it clear that he's getting out on bail so he can never return right so he can just live the life of a fugitive and I assume stay in America doing so Hmm. do you think that he gets caught and taken to jail and that's how he's out of the picture in Breaking Bad or is it more like Gus is going to kill him there are a couple of things in this episode and I will get to them I guess that make me think that he is going to run back to Mexico. Really? And that he may be killed there. Hmm. Is it the fact that or he can run disappear. the operation from jail? So why couldn't he run it from Mexico? Is that... That and also just a few storytelling things. Hmm. Like the story that Mike is reading to Kaylee. The Little Prince? Mm-hmm. The part that he's reading. Hmm. Okay. Uh... I guess we'll talk about that when we get there. I was going to say, do you want me to talk about it now? Kind of. I'm curious. Scroll, scroll, scroll <laughs> through my notes on my phone because I'm a professional. The The last line that he says uh, from, or okay, the second to last is, is my flower in danger of speedy disappearance? It certainly is. Mm-hmm. The whole passage that he's reading is about running, hmm. basically. Okay. And also they, um, the prosecuting attorneys make a point of saying that Lalo is a huge flight risk. Yeah. Which, I mean, he certainly would be. It, it doesn't... Hmm. I'm trying to think how I feel about Lalo. He would have to be... He would have to know that he was fucked before he would run. I think so, yeah. So, and, I'm, and I know 
apparently. Whispers have said that the next episode is going to be... It's going to have a lot of the defining moments of this season in it, Hmm. apparently. Interesting. So I'm curious to see what changes with Lalo's sense of his safety. Yeah, especially because I don't think he feels like it's too urgent right now. Like, Mm-mm. look at him in the courtroom. Look no, at him he's reacting. Totally chill, yeah. He is so chill. He's and full Lalo. If you look at that in contrast to Gus, who is kind of freaking out, like, mm-hmm. he's you, not don't, the only you don't ever see Gus crack. And when Gus does crack, you know something is really, really wrong. Yeah. And in this episode, Gus is cracking, right? Like, he's mm-hmm. doing all the right things. He's still, like, keeping a level head. But he's showing, like, his anger, uh, you know, in the way that Gus does, which, like, <laughs> is just a grimace or something. His it's, shoulders get tight. Right, yeah. right. Uh, he, he gives a look as his restaurant <laughs> burns. But, like, so far, I think the person winning this battle is Lalo. And Lalo is certainly less emotionally affected by it. Um, than Gus is. So, yeah, I don't I don't think Lalo sees this as a problem yet. No, he, absolutely He not. might eventually, though, like That's, when Gus I'm, goes hard enough at him. I'm so, I'm mad curious what is going to happen in yeah. the next couple of episodes. Because Gus is absolutely playing the long game here. Yeah, um, he always is. That's his thing. And that'll be why he wins. Because mm-hmm. Lalo is very much, I mean, he just, he, he just sets places on fire. And then he gets caught. And, yeah, he has a, a way to kind of get out of it. But only because he had a way to get into jail. Right. Right, Gus, Gus never lets himself get in those situations in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Rich and Kim apologized to Kevin for the situation with Saul and Acker and promised that it will never happen again. Kevin says he expected more from the firm uh, and that personally, Kim could do a whole lot better than Jimmy and Saul. Uh, before leaving the building, Kim decides they need to do something more, so they go back in to Kevin's office and Kim tells him he can't continue to ignore their very good advice and they're going to fire him as a client if he does. Kevin says, all right, see you on Thursday. How many times is Kim going to have to say this will never happen again <laughs> for <before laughs> the end of the series? Jimmy around uh, a lot. Yeah. A lot. But if it results in scenes like this, uh, Kim, so I, I really love to see Kim breathing fire. The, the, the heat good. was not very intense in this scene. Like, Howard got it much, much worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are her best moments. Like, I every time Kim gets self-righteous on somebody, uh, it's always enjoyable. It's delightful. I wonder if she would have come back into the room if he hadn't had to get in that last little dig about, about Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah. And then maybe she realized that she can do better than Kevin, too, as a client. Yeah. He's been a pretty shitty client, all things I mean, considered. Uh, yeah, I, I, I He's said not listening. He, he sucked as as a boss. Uh, people push back <laughs> on it, and I understand why people push back on it. Yeah, because yeah, the boss doesn't always have to have all of the ideas, especially when he has a talented team of people he pays. But, but hey, if you have a talented team of people that you pay, maybe you should listen maybe to them. You should. Maybe that's why you pay them. Yeah, it's to advise you. No, Shocking. Kevin's Kevin's impulsive too. He, uh, is. he He's wants a what he wants, and yeah. and no matter the risk, no matter the danger, uh, no matter the cost, he's going to get what he wants. Uh, the other thing I noticed about this scene, and I don't think Paige is this type of person, but Paige is seated in this scene like they're about to do a mob hit on Kim and Rich. Like oh, she's yeah? right behind them, kind of off to the side, <laughs> like she's going to pull a gun out at any moment and just 
put two in the back of their heads. Oh, I didn't get that at all. My my sense was she was putting herself on their side. <laughs> yes, I, I noticed yeah. that too. But also, yeah, I could totally see that. Her face when Kim is delivering her fucking savage burns uh-huh. to Kevin in this scene, she's like, damn. <laughs> she's loving it. And I love to see her love it. Yeah, Paige is, Paige is a weird a weird character in these scenes because she's not driving anything. Um, Kevin's making all the decisions. She's not even really chiming up, chiming in most of the time. I feel like Paige is us in a lot of these scenes sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, sort of like just watching the ball ping pong back and forth across the net mm-hmm. uh, and just sort of seeing where it, it ends up. And it, you notice at the end of the scene where she moves from being on their side, physically moves from being on their side of the room to Kevin's side of the room uh, in the first half of this scene before they come back. It's Yeah, it says a lot about Paige. Paige is sort of like, she seems a little like where the wind blows. That's what um, I was going to say. She's cunning. That's where she'll end up. She has way more cunning than Kevin does. It's probably why that partnership works. Yeah, and she's definitely like playing, um, she's definitely the subservient one in that I don't know if she's a partner in that company or what. Yeah, I said partner. I didn't mean legally. I just meant you always see Kevin and Paige together. Yeah, I mean, I was about to say partner, but I really don't know what the relationship is quite. I don't either. I feel like I should know that. Oops. Oh, well. Someone will write in and tell us. (laughs) I'm sure someone will correct our terrible mistakes. Oh, yeah. Uh, All right. Saul tries to get Lalo to cut a deal, but Lalo says he's going to he's gonna get him out on bail instead he tells Saul to change his motto to just make money to become a friend (laughs) of the cartel do you want to be a friend of the cartel so here's the thing I don't want to be but also if I'm in a position where they'll just like kill me if I'm not yeah. That's hard. I don't want to be an enemy of the cartel. Yeah. But I don't want to be a friend of the cartel I don't want to be a friend either. either. I want to be no I want to be nobody to the cartel. Yeah. Don't let the cartel know who I am. (laughs) Exactly. I don't want them to know my name at all. No. That would be good. I like how Saul immediately asks him about the strength of his uh, pseudonym, his Uh alias. Yeah. Right after he asks him about JMM. Like, wow, you could be a little (laughs) bit more subtle. I'm sure. Yeah, he knows. so maybe Lalo is more subtle and, you know, has has a better story for his uh false identity. Oh, I just meant that maybe Jimmy should not ask about aliases right after someone basically asks about his mm-hmm. without doing it. Yeah, I mean I I don't have a ton of confidence that the Salamancas set up an ironclad uh lie about his identity. Mm-hmm. I think there might be some holes, but guess we'll see and it probably doesn't matter honestly uh, yeah i don't think it matters although i don't know they, they don't bring that up for no reason right i don't so what i don't want is for or do i not want it i don't know i'm still kind of sorting out my feelings about that what i don't want is for jorge de guzman mm-hmm. to know who jimmy mcgill is to know that saul is jimmy mcgill that seems bad for him down the line but also yeah. how could he hide yeah. that because mm-hmm. he's been so flamboyant and the 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 cartel has a way of finding things out when they want to yeah no i'm just i'm always trying to tie back to gene like how is this Mm, yeah because i feel like somebody figured out who gene used to be or somebody traced down jimmy to his gene alias Mm -hmm. so i'm always trying to connect the dots there maybe incorrectly i mean in that case shame on the vacuum cleaner repair guy 
the disappearer. Sent him to Omaha, Nebraska, mm-hmm. specifically Nebraska, which his ex-wife is also from. So that alone is kind of kind of shitty on his part. Yeah, we might we might talk about that in the feedback a little bit. Uh, let's move on to Mike reading a bedtime story to Kaylee, and afterward uh, talking to Stacy about their respective kids. And Mike tells her that he's better now after deciding to play the cards he was dealt. Is Mike talking about the cartel cards or the Maddie cards or both? It it seems like there are some parallels here with Mike and Saul sort of giving themselves over to the criminal underworld. Yeah, I think he's just given up. He's given up trying to fight the positions that he's found himself in. And he's found some perverted version of peace in that. Yeah, and I am... I'm always looking for the the secondary meaning in scenes because, you know, Saul, Better Call Saul is a show that has a lot of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, in this moment, like he's telling Stacy, look, I'm better now. Um, I'm coming to terms with the Maddie stuff here. Let's talk about it. Um, I can do that without getting so emotionally overcome that I shout at you. Uh, but also, I think, yeah, he's talking about his position with the cartel and with Gus and just saying like, okay this is who i am now um i'll I'll probably try and control that and keep it out of your lives but i'm i'm going down this road Mm -hmm. maybe i'll still try to do it kind of ethically but how much does ethics actually play into things whenever you're working for the cartel probably not much and how much is nacho's situation going to complicate things for him I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, we know that's the thing about a prequel. We know it can't complicate it so much that yeah. Mike gets killed or Mike right. gets out of Gus's good graces, like we talked about last week. Uh, so th- there's a finite set of uh, probabilities here about how this turns out. Yeah, you know what's going to happen, but you don't necessarily know how it happens. And that's important, yeah. That's what this whole prequel series is based on. Mm-hmm. Anything else uh, about maybe the book he's reading or... I already said it, but okay. yeah, he mentioned No other insights into the Little Prince? I don't know shit about the Little Prince. I didn't even bother I'm looking it up. Sorry. It's a kid's book. I can't imagine they're making like deep uh, philosophical so, points with uh, the Little Prince. You are so dismissive of kid lit. The and, Little Prince. And YA fiction. Good Call me when the God. prince grows up. Call me, call me when we get when the, big, the king. big king. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk. Isn't that what BK stands for? (laughs) (laughs) A vicious, vicious war going on between BK and Magical Electromotive right now. Oh, no. You think Avocado Mania was a hit? Wait until you get flame-broiled mania. Shout about Avocado Mania. Oh, Oh, my God. We'll talk about it. All right, Jimmy and Kim get home and begin getting frisky. Mm-hmm. Jimmy interrupts Deflection. the moment to tell Kim about his predicament with Lalo and how the money is attractive to him. Kim questions whether it's worth getting mixed up with the cartel. According to Jimmy, it's not a problem because there's no judge in the world who would grant Lalo bail, mm-hmm. uh, which I knew immediately right then mm-hmm. and there that it's the most dramatic outcome of yeah. this thing that he would get granted bail. Kim thanks Jimmy for telling her about it and they get back to business. Uh, this is where I really start to worry for Kim because she knows you can see it on her face. She knows this is an extremely dangerous thing, not just for him, but for 
his family, which she is now a part of, and you see what's happening with Nacho and his dad right now. Mm-hmm. This is not going to go well. If you started this season, or the season before it, or the season before that, mm-hmm. thinking that things were going to go well for any of the people in this story, yeah, you're a fool. No, nah, I mean, we know where it ends up. I have one major problem with this scene. Well, two major problems. One, just awkward, awkward on-screen chemistry always between these people. Yeah. I think so, a little bit hmm. sometimes. It was better. It was better here. I saw one person on Reddit say this is the first time they watched the show with their mom, so of course it was the first <laughs> right. sex scene right. in Better Call Saul. Uh-huh. Perfect. One. And two, Kim is wearing a strapless bra to work. No fucking way, man. No way. Those things are so uncomfortable. They're binding and they slide all the time, so you're constantly adjusting them. She would never wear something that she has to constantly adjust all day. If she's wearing three layers of clothes, a shirt that covers her shoulders, why would you bother wearing a strapless bra? Exactly. Strapless bras are for blouses that don't have sleeves and shoulders, right? Yes, exactly. And dresses. It's just for that shot. Essentially, just for wearing tube tops. That's the only thing that strapless. And, and low-cut dresses. Yes. Okay. Yes, Sorry, you, I interrupted you. made you. the same point in a different way, interrupting Wait, me to it's do always it. for clothes that do not cover the <laughs> upper port. Okay. What was your point? I'm sorry. Oh, uh, my point was them shits are uncomfortable. There's, I do yeah. not believe that she would own more than one, that she would own more than one of these, and two, that she would be wearing it under all those layers of clothes, because again, you're constantly having to adjust them because they slip and they're just fucking mm. awful. They only did it to get that shot of her with, you know, the half sunset on her face so that they could have her shoulder lines unbroken by bra straps. <laughs> Bullshit. But, Sexist. Well, but this is her wedding day. She's all gussied up. I, she was wearing a sleeved blouse under a sleeved jacket. <laughs> Also, she was wearing just like normal lawyer panties. She wasn't yeah. wearing lacy, hmm. lacy nothings. What? She doesn't need to. She's got the fancy bra on. Ugh, so disgusted. <laughs> that was so. That was the thing I wanted to yell about in this scene. Let's move on. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Lalo's given a phone in his jail cell and continues running the cartel operations from there. He's got a job for the person on the phone. Spoiler: that person is Nacho. His and that bedroom? job is destroying Gus's uh, chicken house. <laughs> I've called it a chicken shack in my notes every time because I yeah. I forget the words. I'm sorry. I'm dumb. Uh, who who could be better than Ocho Loco? That, that was my question. There yeah. is no one with a better name, certainly. Certainly. No one with a more recognizable name currently other than Nacho himself. Yeah. Or Jorge the, de Guzman. The chip boy. Yeah, no, I was surprised to hear that uh, there was someone better than Ocho Loco. I also enjoyed him shooing away his cellmate. Mm-hmm. That was just a nice little touch. Yep. He still seems completely unfazed, <laughs> even though he's in a cage. He. This is not the first time he's been in a cage. Of Definitely. course, yeah. His hand was at the ready for that phone sliding under the door. He just ja, got mm-hmm. it. Perfect. Uh, next up, Nacho tells Mike that he wants out, which we already knew. <laughs> Um, of course, he can't go to the cops uh, and wants Mike to help him. And Lalo has put Nacho back in charge and wants him to burn down Los Poyos Hermanos. Mike t- is, you know, flabbergasted by this whole thing, drives off with intention, though. He's uh, 
you know, he's going to go back and report to Gus, obviously. Mm-hmm. He's on the phone as he drives away. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah he starts pulling on his phone, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about this. We've kind of already talked about the danger that Nacho is in, and this is sort of a follow-on to that stuff, potentially positioning us for something more interesting where Nacho either has to take it into his own hands or um, figure out some way, like actually make a move here. And I don't know if he's been working on this in the background, if he's got a plan and maybe he's sort of pretending to be a little more freaked out by the whole situation than he currently is or what, but I don't know. We'll see. He's definitely feeling the pressure and he is at the, he is in the middle of multiple conspiracies Mm -hmm. at this point. It's a rough place to be in, but also that's the most volatile place to be in. If he really wanted to fuck stuff up, he could ruin things for multiple groups of people at this point. Sure could. And for Mike as well. But we know that doesn't happen. All right. Uh, <laughs> Gus is in a magical meeting where he introduces Los Poyos Hermanos' new Spice Curls. Spice Curls. The curly fry with the Southwestern kick. Uh, afterward, he's taken to his accommodations for the evening where he gets comfortable and then goes to Peter's attached room uh, where Lydia also is. And Peter asks if they can continue construction on the super lab. Gus says no because Lalo's still in play. And Lydia suggests murdering him in jail, but that would start a war. Peter is super worried about the tax auditors figuring out that they've been building this thing uh, and he's involved in these drug ops and Gus gives him a pep talk to to cheer him up. It seems to work. So much stuff in there. Should we talk about the meeting first? The magical meeting? Yeah, I need to yell about avocado for a second, if you will permit me. Do it. I cannot accurately express the depth of my horror at the idea of putting avocado on a fish sandwich. <laughs> what? Two mushy substances yeah. meeting? They should never meet. Never on bread. Never in life. What, what are you talking like, about? In a hot dog bun. No. <laughs> are you talking about putting fish on a hot dog, sir? <laughs> no, not on a hot dog. The fish is the hot dog. And the avocado is the relish. <laughs> Why is that better? It's not. It's not. Uh, yes, yes, you are 100% correct. I did not notice that they were talking about fish plus avocado, which makes me question what I was actually thinking, which is they started the avocado, the millennial millennial avocado craze way before it actually started. Like, they're in 2004. I don't think that was really a thing back then. Uh, no. So they might have actually started it, but how would they start it with a fish and avocado sandwich? You know what? I'm realizing now that that might not have been the fish lady. That might have been somebody before her talking about <laughs> mania. Oh, well, I'm Oops. leaving that in the podcast because oh, it's no. too good, too delicious. Um, it can it can be on a burger. That's probably okay. On a burger, yeah. Yeah, maybe in a taco. Like a, like a salad burger, like a avocado yeah. and then some leafy greens that are not just iceberg lettuce. Um. We we would know it, as you said, as a millennial burger now. Yeah. Man, they really were ahead of the curve. They were. Uh, so was... I hate avocado. Luftwaffle. Luftwaffle. Which, Luftwaffle, I guess, is how you would say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how to feel about Luftwaffle. Here in America, that might fly. No pun intended. Because 
the Luft, Luftwaffe, which <laughs> I'm not German. I apologize to, <laughs> to, to Mike Ermintraut. I apologize to Werner Ziegler, Ziegler and all of their kin. Uh, yeah, I, the, okay. So the Luftwaffe <laughs> is the German Air Force okay. and they have a, a role in World War II that is less than, uh, we'll say is a bit tarnished. Okay, is that where I know that word from? Because yes. it seemed familiar to me. Oh, what? Nazi waffles. Uh-huh. Oh, that's uh-huh. Un- That's unfortunate. And Madrigal Electromotive is a German company. Yeah. So the f- maybe wow. I just don't know the proper history here. I don't have the right context for modern day Germany, but that seems like an offensive pun. That for your restaurants, unless yeah. unless they're exclusively operating in America, which is possible because I think Los Poyos is also just operating in America. American. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that seemed strange to me. There's some other ones, but the Luftwaffel was definitely the best pun. You know, but then also the airline is called Lufthansa, so uh-huh. maybe Luft just means lift. Uh, maybe, but but Luftwaffe definitely has like a yeah, no, connotation. I, I'm right there with you. That's kind of fucked up. Uh, they own at least 10 subsidiaries, which I think all we knew of in the past was just um, the Madrigal side of things, not like the... Um, well, okay, so this Peter guy. Yeah. Let's talk about him because mm-hmm. he is a character from Breaking Bad. Season and if 5, you, episode 2. If you remember um, from that season, he's the guy who t- tasted French. He did taste French. Sorry, I <laughs> French. Who? No, it's French. It's French. Maybe it's French. It depends on where you're from, probably. Oof. But yeah. Um. So what I'm talking about is he is the guy who kills himself on the toilet in um the episode. I think. I think it's yeah. Episode two of season five. It's after Gus uh kill gets killed and then the word kind of comes out about the drug operations that were running out of out of Gus's facilities. I think in the scene leading up to that, it's in the same scene, there are investigators actually coming into yes. Magical. Right. Um, and so he just, you know, kills himself. With a defibrillator? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I do seem to remember him grabbing that first aid kit and yeah, heading to the bathroom. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Dude is kind of... There's something about him in this scene. He seems like he didn't didn't have a whole lot to start with as far as mental capacity goes, or at least as far as uh, emotional capacity. Yeah, he's overwhelmed in this scene, um, which is why I guess he needs to give him that pep talk because he's having financial um, auditor woes. Mm-hmm. And Lydia is talking to him like he's a uh, 90-year-old gr- little Jesus grandpa Christ, or something. Lydia. She's so condescending. <laughs> also, Look who's here. It's Gus. The, it's because Lydia is <laughs> incapable of inspiring anyone. She's or, awful. I don't, I don't know how she got to the position she's in, uh, but yeah, she's she's kind of the worst. She, I do like that she is always suggesting they kill someone in jail. In jail, like yep. this is kind of her go-to move. Don't they just kill people in jail all the time? Like Shank or Shiv, you know that uh-huh. that whole thing. Uh, I really like the the moment after Gus delivers his speech to to Peter, his pep talk, and Peter kind of snaps out of it, and Lydia lets her breath out. 
Like she's been holding her breath this entire time that Gus was speaking because this seems like a measure of last resort to have Gus come in and personally deal with Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, she was totally incapable of calming him. And so Shocking. like if this didn't work with Gus, she had nowhere to go with Peter. Yeah. She just had to deal with him being a nervous fucking wreck. Yeah. You can you can tell she's so relieved that she breaks out the champagne later. Prost. I think she was worried that he would do something uh, rash. He would he would like make some himself. bad decisions. Yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> I can't, like that. Can't imagine why she'd be afraid of that. And we hear about so- fucking Santiago again. Yeah, that mm, they're going to have to address that soon. They're going to address it soon. Uh, yeah, the, they hint season. more around the edges. They say yeah. that the you know it was the two of them. Their backs were against the wall. Gus will never forget what he did. What happened? I don't know. I fell down a Wikipedia black hole early this morning. I did not realize that there were German settlers in Chile. That's a thing. Hmm. Okay. Uh, for one thing, the first engineer in the the settlement outside of Santiago after Santiago was eh, conquered, basically. Indigenous people were kicked out slash murdered huh. so that the Spanish could conquer Chile. Mm-hmm. And the first engineer in the the colony was a German. Interesting. And then in the mid-1800s, the law of selective immigration was enacted in Chile, basically saying, hey, Germans, come come over here. Come settle the Hmm. southern part of our country. So it's just like a big expatriate community or like... Kind of, but it's also... Hmm. It's been the history... These two people has been intertwined for a very long time, and yeah. I had no idea. So it makes total sense now that Gus would be working with so many Germans. Interesting. It's a uh, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Sheds a little light on the situation. Sorry, we turned into stuff you know, stuff you should know, for half a second there. Yeah, I think it's cool. Moving on. All right, let's move on. Jimmy and Jim more. browse mm-hmm. the farmland <laughs> options that they're going to buy with the money from his new life. I think, I think that's what he's doing. He's like. Teasing her with the properties they can buy with cartel money? This is too soon, Jimmy. It is very too soon, but also very on brand for him. Yeah. That's absolutely what he's like jokingly saying. Oh, look at this. Flowers dancing in the breeze or something. <laughs> yeah, dancing in the sunshine, <laughs> waving in the breeze, the same thing. Having fun no matter what. Uh, so is this also possible that he's trying to gather data here to figure out where she might want to go for a honeymoon? I can see like uh, an episode where they go off on a honeymoon. Yeah. And then... In the middle of it, they get he gets like a call from the cartel or something. I didn't even think about that. That's and a fair it point. Totally disrupts their honeymoon and you know reimpresses upon Kim the life that this is going to lead to. I thought he was just feeling her out. Yeah, but... there was a mention from Huel of the honeymoon, and he he didn't even seem to have considered it at that point. And then they're mm-hmm. looking at this stuff, and I'm like, eh, maybe. That's a fair point. Uh, so Mike then Kim leaves for work and then Saul gets a call from Mike he pretends to be in a tunnel but Mike shows up at his door <laughs> and says that he needs Lalo out on bail and gives him everything he needs to make it happen sock garters yep I forgot those were a thing he and this episode them. reminded me that they are a thing mm-hmm. we got to see Bob Odenkirk in his skivvies which is actually more decent than did you enjoy the episodes. show like Mike did? Sure. His upper torso is more built than I expected it to be. That's not from this scene. It's from the first scene. But Bob Odenkirk? Yeah, he's in, he's mm-hmm. in good shape. Especially for a man his age. Jesus. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
Uh, I was expecting, expecting flab, and I got fab. And you got flabbergasted. <laughs> uh, That's better than what I said. God damn you. <laughs> Go say say the other stuff you're going to say. I'm going to say that Jimmy's in a really, really tough place here. When Mike comes in and gives him... You, you got to remember who everybody's working for here. It's really fucking dangerous, because Mike is coming in from Gus's side of the equation, mm-hmm. telling him to betray his bosses who are Lalo and the Salamancas and Nacho. Uh, Nacho is telling Mike that he wants Mike to betray his boss to help his father out. Mm-hmm. Lalo, I don't know. I mean, we all know where Lalo stands on the Salamanca side, but like he's got Saul in his grasp. And anywhere that Saul tries to move out of the box he's in is extraordinarily dangerous, even moving within the box he's in. Like... What's he going to do? Tell Mike no? He can't. Like, he literally can't. And and it's also the fact that, like, Gus is giving him the pieces he needs to do the thing that Lala wants him to do. Mm-hmm. Like, that's clearly the obvious choice here, but it puts him in deeper with everybody. It does. And you can't, you can't serve two masters in the cartel. It's just not possible. I love so much that they use the same evidence that they used to get Lalo into prison to get him out of prison. Yeah. That is a beautiful turnaround. <laughs> I just, I was like grabbing my head when I realized that's what was happening in this episode. Like, mm-hmm. oh, brilliant. How could you? It is extremely brilliant. Um, I also like the moment where uh, Saul asks Mike if he knows what Lalo did when he's like telling him, okay, you got to get him, you got to get him off on bail here. Because um, it's clear as we get deeper into this episode that. Saul is not feeling good about what he's doing here. I mean, especially when he's confronted with the family of of whoever died at the travel wire. I don't know his name. I'm like Lalo, I guess. Oh, Fred. Uh, <laughs> it's Fred. Fred? It's Fred. That's a bad name. It's kind of uh, a bad name. It's a Flintstones <laughs> name. So, yeah, he's he's feeling guilty about it. And that question, like, do, Sorry, you, do you know what Lalo did? Did you hear about it? Like, you really want me to help him? It just indicates that he's kind of disgusted by his own actions. He is. And like you said, we see that in a much more real out of body way later. I just want to say Freddie is different than Fred. Freddie's cool. Fred's a weird name. Oh, okay. <laughs> the the Freddie of bald new fame. Covering my buns. I would never call you Fred, Freddie. I didn't realize that Fred Whalen is the name of the person. He looks... I'm a ding dong because they showed whenever Mike was giving him the evidence, all the paperwork, mm-hmm. they showed Fred Whalen's ID. Yeah. And at just a glance, I think it's the terrible mustache, but he's almost like a whitewashed Lalo. So I thought for a second, they were <laughs> was... trying to frame somebody else. And then, you know, oh, I, my God, yeah, get a look alike and I say was it wasn't me. Out, it was like, the one armed man. This whole theory. And then I realized I was a, just a dumbass, actually. Nice. So there's the journey I went on. All right, let's go on a journey to the next scene. <laughs> Nacho and Gus break into Los Pueblos Hermanos, trash the place, and blow it up. Okay, number one question. Rube Goldberg, go on. <laughs> number one question, unless you wanted to elaborate on Rube no, Goldberg. Explain who Bird. Rube Goldberg is and his Bird. connection to Chile very much. and colonialization. Oh, we could go oh, there. you're teasing me. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Oh. Uh, so 
Number one question I had coming out of this scene is how the hell does this turkey in the fryer blow the restaurant up? Have you seen any videos on YouTube about people uh, who try to fry frozen turkeys? Yes. It's a terrible idea. Thaw your birds, people. Thaw your because birds. Because the oil literally explodes out of the thing. So, yeah, what happens is you have the extraordinarily hot oil, which mm-hmm. has a higher uh, boiling point than water does. Mm-hmm. And so when that really cold turkey covered in ice and, and full of juice, uh, frozen juice, hits <laughs> just the full oil, of juice. all of that water just instantly like flash boils mm-hmm. and it causes a whole bunch of steam to rise up out of the oil, pushing the oil up out of the pot as well. And that you know, rolls over the edges and then hits the ignition source, which is like whatever flame or whatever yep. you've got that's heating up the oil. I, and, and it causes a spectacular fireball. Like mm-hmm. even just like a five gallon turkey fryer will cause a, a flame, I don't know, 15 feet high to, to shoot up. Like do that in your garage and your garage is gone. Your house is gone. Right. <laughs> Uh, and it's gone before you can even think about a fire extinguisher. There are so many news reports of that. I was it five or ten years ago when yeah. frying your Thanksgiving turkey was a thing, mm-hmm. like a big thing, or just becoming That's a thing, That's why they I always suppose. say to do it outside. Yeah, do it outside and thaw your bird. Yeah. Thaw your bird. Absolutely. Uh, so I was wondering, there's got to be, I would have thought there was some protections, some security features on a professional fryer that wouldn't allow any grease spills to come in contact with the ignition source. Yeah. The problem would be solved if that were the case. Um, you wouldn't have to worry about it, but like that restaurant goes up. So it really does. I, you could explain it away by saying, Oh, there were strategically placed oil barrels throughout the restaurant. And there were, there was oil on the floor. Well, and I mean, they put, the, why... they, they put the, the guest turns the gas on. Yeah. It turns so. the gas on, but I couldn't see that. It was, I could see that exploding in the kitchen, perhaps, uh-huh. but not the entire restaurant. No, it's hmm. a little, it's a little shaky to me. Also, it was a chicken, not a turkey. Oh, I yeah. Hear about well, it. I was thinking a turkey. And also, yes, had, you're right. I thought that none of their chicken was ever frozen, but apparently that's wrong. Oh shit! But also, this was the only chicken in the freezer. Did he just have a backup chicken? <laughs> he has always had this plan. <laughs> That if he needs to torch yeah. this restaurant, he can do it in a heartbeat. His ignition chicken. It's his ignition chicken. It's his, a, a chicken wick? It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a chicken wick. His chicken wick. <laughs> oh, I don't he want to lit, think about Gus's chicken wick. He lit his chicken wick. He gently stroked his chicken wick. <laughs> right, Bane. This is a perverted Bane voice you're doing here. I don't like it. <gasps> chicken wick. <laughs> I'll lean even more into it now that you've, yep, you made a mistake. Right. Shh, shh. I got to talk about Gus uh, and how pissed. We have been talking about Gus. And how pissed he is to have blown up his own place. Of course. Just to keep Nacho's cover. Like, that's of the thing. He's, he's mad. paying such a huge price here. He loves this chicken place. Yeah. What is Lyle going to do? Lyle's going to make half of what he was making on unemployment. Mm-hmm. Lyle's fucked. It'll be less than half, actually. It's usually around 40 to 45%, so... Yeah. It's bullshit. Lyle's yeah, no, screwed. everyone who... Lyle is fucked. Everyone working behind the counter is fucked. Mm-hmm. And he promised that he had dealt with this and he would not let anything happen to his employees. Uh, got them all together and gave him a big rousing speech and made an apology. Now here he is, blowing up their workplace. Just blowing up the joint. You know what? I saw him look at that fryer basket again. 
before right. he set up like the chicken. Expecting Lyle's work or something. It was Lyle's fault. He should have if he had cleaned <laughs> that fryer a little better mm-hmm. in that episode, he wouldn't have had to blow the place up. The, the respect that Gus had for him would have overrode his his uh, desire to keep Nacho as a mole. His conscience would have gotten to him. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but I love the look that, that Gus gives both as he's walking away, but also in his car. And they, these, you know, cool guys don't look at explosions memes, <laughs> obviously, apply here. But, like, once he gets in his car, you can just see how pissed he is that, you know, in his Gus way. Like, mm-hmm. he just gives a small look, and then he goes back to being Gus, but you know something is up. But this is, like, Gus sacrificing a knight, basically, mm-hmm. to win the game later yep. down the road. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me because like Gus, I think correctly assumes that if anything happens to Lalo while he's in prison or jail, uh, the cartel will assume that Gus had some involvement. Mm-hmm. But Lalo, from the other side of this, is not assuming that if anything happens to Gus's operations, the cartel will assume he had some hand in it. Yeah, it shows. I think there are a couple of things like I like I mentioned earlier that highlight the difference between Gus and and Lalo and one of those things is patience mm-hmm. one of those things like you know keep willing to make the sacrifice to play this longer game is well within Gus's wheelhouse whereas Lalo is sort of making moves that all make sense in the moment but he's not considering what the future of this looks like and if the cartel were to say hmm why did Gus's shop blow up you know our source of income is diminished who mm-hmm. could have had a hand in that well, I mean, Lalo is the first place you might look. He is clearly a firebug. Yeah. So it's his mo. It's a good. It's a good point. Looking at battles versus wars here. Mm-hmm. That's why Gus is a. He's a soldier. He knows that he can lose the battle as long as he wins the war later on. I wonder what that has to do with Santiago. Santiago, fucking Santiago. I hope we find out. Me too. All right, Saul tells the detectives that he's on to their secret private investigator. The detectives. <laughs> the prosecutors. Saul tells the well, prosecutors. One of them, well, okay, so one of them is definitely a detective. Um, detective yeah, Roberts right. yeah, is in yeah, there. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yes, but yeah, they're not both, the yeah. most likely. Um, then in court, he presents his case that their witness was manipulated by the private investigator for nefarious purposes. And the prosecution asks, asks that they still recognize Lalo as a flight risk and don't uh, grant him bail. Saul counters that Lalo has a wonderful family who are in the courtroom, and he has no reason to run. And after some deliberation, the judge grants Lalo a bond of $7 million. And Lalo says, eh, I can do that. But he arranges for, he's going to arrange for Saul to pick up the cash. Could have at least chosen children that weren't blonde, I think. But eh. that's my only complaint. That dark hair, as soon as the dark hair comes into your bloodline, it's just dark hair from there on. It does tend to dominate. But also, like, this family this doesn't really look like his family. They're all like clean cut. <laughs> Lala's got armband tattoos and a mustache. It screams cartel. Like there's, I, I don't buy that that family would be involved in any way with this man. It's pretty weak, yeah. but just strong enough to work. Apparently. Well, that's the thing. I wonder how deep this cover goes. This Jorge de Guzman. How. Mm-hmm. How deep does it go? Does, do they have this arrangement with this particular family that if anything comes up, yes, you are in fact like the family of this guy. Um, how long has that been in place? Has it been ever since he's come to America? Uh, a lot of questions I have around like how ironclad his his identity really is. It's a fair point. It might not matter. Maybe none of this actually matters if he just if he takes off. 
Right. At the end of I, don't, the I don't think it does matter um, because, like you said, he's going to just skip bail immediately. But also, the court, I think, is a risk on Saul's part to try and pitch this as this is his family. Yeah. Because all the court has to do is say, okay, well, let's hold off a second and check that. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't check out, <laughs> Saul's in just as much trouble as Lalo is at this yeah, point. The case is twice eh, as bad. Just as much. <laughs> just as they much. list his crimes mm. murder in the first robbery uh tampering with evidence yeah probably could have stopped at murder Arson. honestly yeah and they did have to stop this is the same scene where we see that fucking moldy awful Ugh. ceiling patch yeah pretty sure it's a staining of the soul statement but also i could not look away from it just like you yeah I was, I was mesmerized by the disgusting nature of it. I even have in my notes, there's a huge, super gross water stain on the ceiling tiles behind his head as he lays out his defense. But it did not get in the way of his me noticing his crisis of conscience here. His um, out-of-body moment, yeah. He was sitting one moment and standing the next. He looks over at the... the uh, what are their names? Waylands? The Waylands. The Waylands. Uh, the Waylands. Waylands. Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn. Uh, and looks, you know, like he's making the worst decision of his life. Looks like he has his back in the corner and has nowhere to go. And he kind of does. I mean, if he doesn't yeah. do his best for Lalo, he's probably going to pick up on that. Absolutely. Um, and actually, I would say that Saul is not in prime form during this he scene. Does, yeah, he's he doesn't really want to be. He wants to be yeah. just good enough to make Lalo think he's trying. Right. But not good enough to actually convince the judge to give him bail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think also going through his head is his new wife. Right. And the danger that he's putting her in um, as he's staring at this family, which he now has mm-hmm. uh, once again after, you know, uh, someone murdered Chuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe Chuck, but other people too. Maybe we should talk about that. Um, oh my god yeah the the scene after record where howard once again finds jimmy asking about the job offer howard has connected the dots on saul's shenanigans and the job offer and saul tries to play it off but howard hits the nail on the head and it unleashes jimmy's rage he follows howard down the hall telling him how much smaller of a man and concept howard is <laughs> uh and it doesn't seem to make jimmy feel any better howard should never have gotten involved with these brothers <sighs> oh god holy shit this whole tirade of Jimmy's is so Chuck. Mm-hmm. It's chicanery all over again. Yeah. Yeah, they both have a hot streak to them, sure. They do, especially when the lies that they tell themselves about themselves are confronted. Yes, especially then. Yep. Neither of these people want to admit their own faults. Um, and, and I think I think Howard is right. So I've always been on the side of Howard is getting healthier. Mm-hmm. Howard is getting better, genuinely better. And Jimmy is repressing his feelings about Chuck. And here he, in my opinion, misplaces the blame and he puts it all on Howard. Tells him that he killed Chuck. Yeah. Right. But in in my opinion, that is him not being able to come to terms with the role he had in Chuck's death. He is hard projecting. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's sad. He He, in this scene, he absolutely, he has to tell himself that... Howard is a small man and that he's doing something huge and amazing and his potential is off the charts because he's a sad, broken man doing very bad <laughs> things for very bad people and to and to perfectly decent people like that. It's it's 
despicable. Like everybody talks about Walter White Ugh. and wonders where is the moment when when did you get off the Walter White train mm-hmm. and realize that he was just an irredeemable person. Um, there have been a few moments like that with Jimmy, and I think this is one of those. This is the one where he knows, like, it, it's all about, like, the knowledge of what he's doing being wrong. Right. In my opinion, that that changes you from, like, a bad person to, from someone who does bad things but doesn't actually, like, totally get that they're doing bad things to someone who knows they're doing bad and does it anyway. And that is the far more reprehensible thing. I would agree with that. This whole this whole thing of his, it's so unhinged. I saw a couple of people comparing this to like Walter White's Poisoning Brock or you know, <laughs> No, his whole his whole speech, I am the one who knocks or whatever. Oh, this is not that. No. This is this is Jimmy losing his shit. This is Saul losing his shit and showing us that he is a little bit unhinged. Yeah. This streak of his runs deeper than he's been letting anybody see. He's completely in the wrong in this situation. Oh, yeah. And he knows it too. He after he, uh-huh. it's just like Chuck, after he does this tirade, he realizes, "Oh, oops, that was very unprofessional," and tries to straighten his tie right. and just strut back through the hallway. He realizes what it looked like to everybody who saw it. Yeah, looked and, like he was a crazy person. And he realizes that their image of that conversation was correct. Yeah, um, that their impression of it. And yeah, I, I gotta say, like we talk, you know, when when Racy Horn unleashes fury upon Howard or Kevin or Rich or whoever, we always Racy applaud. <laughs> Sorry. Hmm. I thought you said Racy Horn. No, Racy nothing. Horn? Go on. Ray Seahorn <laughs> unleashes fury. Uh, we always talk about how amazing she is, and she is. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Bob Odenkirk in this scene is also equally incredible. It's it, when Kim does it. Kim is a fundamentally uh, more serious and impressive character, I think, than Saul Goodman. And so when she does it, you really root for her, and she kind of comes off as like, yeah, she really stuck it to him. Mm-hmm. When Bob Odenkirk as Saul Goodman does it, there's a like a silly quality to the man, a pathetic quality to it. Yeah, the the Bob is able to like to bring to this character that it it's equally impressive uh, on an acting level, but it's also just a complete night and day difference between how I feel about these characters when they do essentially the same thing. Jimmy always feels desperate. Saul always feels a little bit desperate. Absolutely. And you don't really get that from Kim. Never. She's usually, even if she is maybe pushing it a little far, like she did with Acker, I mm-hmm. think a little bit, you could still see where she's coming from. She's still based her tirade on truth a little bit. Yeah. And Jimmy is all, it's all feelings and <laughs> explosions. I just, I just love, like, Bob Odenkirk does such a good job with the physicality of this character, too. Yes, like, absolutely. When you see him, like, when he's on. When he's wheeling and dealing, He's yeah, always, like, he's, moving he's around moving. and, like, his arms are going, his mouth is going, his head's moving. In these scenes, he's doing a lot of the same things, but he's he's able to bring, like, an awkward feeling to it. Like a, like a not-quite-sure physical 
presence to it where he's up on his toes and he's like trying <laughs> to look bigger than he really yeah. is he's the god of lightning shooting but out of his fingertips but like, exactly is so insane and yeah. over the top that it did it crosses that line into ridiculousness yeah it's crazy i couldn't believe also for someone who is so good at lying whenever howard basically says hey fucko i know that you're the one who threw bowling balls at my car mm-hmm. and send hookers to my work lunch <laughs> sex workers uh-huh. he he's so bad at lying in that moment i don't know if he was never caught. expecting to get caught yeah, or yeah. what it was i think so yeah he's, he's, he's not used to getting called out by people um except he does get called out by, by people all the time but he doesn't get called out by real people yeah right? yeah he gets called out by, by people criminals. who he's actively in the process of conning yeah and Howard's not that. Howard approaches him. Howard's Howard's almost pulled like this weird magic trick on him where <laughs> he's reversed the power dynamic here because mm-hmm. Jimmy, you know, he's doing all these horrible things to Howard. He thinks he's got the upper hand, but Howard it's like kind of like Lalo. Howard is unfazed by this stuff. Um, you know, he doesn't like having his Lexus smashed by bowling balls. But he approaches it very calmly. Yeah, he's zen for lack of a better <laughs> word. Uh, and Jimmy doesn't know how to deal with that, yeah. I think. Like, people who aren't taken in by the things he's doing, he has a much harder time to deal with. And oh, you, you look at, like, the, at the cop um, yeah. who arrested him back when he was selling cell phones mm-hmm. uh, that Huel hit with a bag of food. Yeah. That guy also had a similar effect on, on Saul. Mm-hmm. Like, Saul was trying to run his game, but the cop was just like, I see your game. I'm not playing it. Like, I'm just going to give you the warning. And then Saul didn't really know how to handle him. Yeah, he yeah. knows he knows how to handle how to handle anger and suspicion and suckers and suckers. Yeah, yeah. people who like are copy machine uh, salesmen. Yeah, so willing to believe a lie because it gives them something that they want. Right. But when confronted with genuine concern for him, yeah. which is what Howard was kind of showing, like, okay, I don't know how I upset you, but don't worry about it. He. Nope. And that's the thing. Howard doesn't have anything he wants from Jimmy. He wants to give Jimmy something. Mm -hmm. And Jimmy doesn't know how to accept it. Because it would mean acknowledging his emotions, I think. Ugh, this poor broken man. Jesus. Yeah, Yeah, he's fucked up. Here's what's new in premium content for our club members. No lunch this week, as I'll be traveling on vacation, but get ready for next week when we have the rare, elusive, dare I say premium lunch with Talitha and Aaron. And while you're waiting for the return of the king, don't forget May is the time to switch your Patreon tiers to make sure you maintain your full benefits by June. Stop by support.ballmove.com to check your Patreon levels to see the new benefits and decide which one is right for you. And finally, tickets are now on sale for Badass Fest 6. Come meet us live and in person, watch a mystery badass film with us, and then hear us record the podcast right there in front of you in a theater packed with Bald Move fans. Get your details and your tickets at baldmove.com slash live. If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com right now to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content plus ad-free feeds. That's it for the episode. Uh, we're we're going to do some feedback. Feedback. We've got a couple of pieces here. Um, you know, five or six emails. From what first one is from Chris, who had uh, some stuff to say about your your comments last episode. Go on. 
said I just had to write in about last week's show to say that I almost spit out my coffee when Alexis coined the term yeehaw aesthetic. <laughs> it's now part of my Twitter bio. I didn't coin that, but I'm so glad that you are giving me the credit for it. You Thank didn't you. coin that? I did not. You read that somewhere? I'm a terrible millennial who is online far too much. I yes. bet you love avocado fish hot dogs. Excuse <laughs> you. No. It's over. The podcast is over. I'm going upstairs. Uh, we're moving on to rich not that rich uh from for the final word on smoke detectors this <laughs> is gonna me. be it because we finally got to the core of the information that i really wanted which is why smoke detectors have radioactive stuff in them yes please so they have a radioactive material and a sensor that detects the radiation coming off of that mm-hmm. and when the smoke gets in between those two things oh, okay. breaks the flow of the radiation the sensor stops detecting the radiation and alarm goes off god does that have to be radiation you wouldn't think so because he mentions the example of like a supermarket supermarket checkout conveyor belt that stops when the beam of light gets interrupted, yeah. the invisible light. Maybe you could do it with that. You don't maybe, need radioactive material in your house. Maybe light takes more battery power than radiation. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it would. That being it, a definitely point. would. Yeah, uh, transmitting typically takes more power than receiving. So. Thank you, Rich, for being more present on this episode than Rich was. Mm-hmm. He was basically a well-dressed accessory to Kim. Kim's right. fury. Well, let's move on to Christian. During your review of Wexler v. Goodman, you were wondering what the connection was between all the scenes on which Jimmy plays the song Smoke on the Water, going as far back as when Davison Maine fired Jimmy in season two. However, I believe the first the song was first featured on the season one episode four flashback that introduces Jimmy's best friend, Marco. Mm. Both Jimmy and Marco are seen humming the song. It was sort of their battle cry. Yeah. Keep up the great reviews. Uh, Yes, this is kind of a, one of his go-to songs. And I think everybody's got those, right? Like I know as someone who plays guitar about as well as Jimmy plays guitar. (laughs) You play better than him. (laughs) Go on. Uh, I I have some go to songs that I both hum and and play from time to time. I I cannot say that I do. I mean, he probably grew up in the era of uh, Smoke on the Water. He did. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. We saw. I mean, we saw their birth dates in this episode. Yeah, nineteen sixty eight and. I, I couldn't actually see Jimmy's birthday because the Amazon thing where they show the people who are in in each scene mm-hmm. was covering it up, so I oh. couldn't see it. Just cool. X-ray feature. Yeah, yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah, X-ray. I find the the pause screens on many services very lacking. Leave a bit to be desired. Yeah, especially if there's no way to dismiss the black overlay that they put on these things mm-hmm. to dim them. It just covers up like a third of your screen. And you can't see the details that you really want to see when you pause. Like pausing isn't just to stop playback. Pausing is also to take in something on the frame. But why don't these UI designers think more about podcasters? Come they on, should think about everyone. Should think about everyone, and podcasters are included. Yes, and in everyone. All right, Mike writes in. Not that Mike. I'm rewatching <laughs> the opening scene of last week's episode, and I swore that Kim's mom's license plate read Nebraska. Is that where Gene is hiding out? Any chance we get some kind of Gene-Kim reunion in the post-Breaking Bad timeline? Maybe after Saul inevitably gets Kim disbarred, she goes home to Nebraska? So to explain her absence from Breaking Bad and could set a pretty compelling final showdown. Thoughts? Yeah, we've we've considered stuff like this before. Um, I just wanted to bring it up because I don't think we talked about the plate being Nebraska. Wait, yeah, we probably didn't. Um, I I guess that might add more potential here. 
for some kind of reunion somewhere down the line. Uh, but I'm not really expecting to see much of that. I, I really don't. I, I think Gene is more about the fate of Saul, not about like catching up on you know the old times or anything. I don't think he's going to have much of a happy ending, and that would almost be too... Eh, it might be bittersweet. It might be bittersweet to have like a reunion with Kim or something. I know that they don't do anything in this show without reason. They made a point to show mm-hmm. us that license plate. Yeah. It is Nebraska. That is absolutely where Gene is. Yeah. I think that there is probably some kind of connection. I don't want to go ahead and say that they are going to meet up mm-hmm. old Kim and old Gene, but... People were talking a lot about this when I think uh, Kim was interviewing for a job back in like season two or something. It was a long time ago. Um, and she said she was from Nebraska or mm-hmm. like mentioned the corn huskers or some some team <laughs> yeah. which indicated she was so like this might just be a follow-on to the already established backstory of kim where like you you already know she's from nebraska so this isn't a big reveal but i don't know we'll That's see fair. uh and then we got doug our, our resident lawyer here uh not not on the payroll so he's not our legal representative, but he is a legal representative for someone somewhere. And he has a few fine points about spousal privilege. Laid on me. Um, which, if you're not familiar, is the concept they're, they're sort of leaning on so that they don't have to testify against each other. Uh, he says it only prevents the spouse from being forced to testify against the other. However, it does not allow one spouse to stop the other from testifying against him or her. That means Kim cannot be forced to testify against Jimmy, but if she chooses to, Jimmy cannot invoke the privilege to stop her. Mm-hmm. Which I think could be... Problematic for uh, Jimmy. Yeah, that could be a key point. Um, number two, if they divorce, the privilege ends. Mm-hmm. This is different from an attorney-client or doctor-patient privilege. If I'm your attorney and you fire me, I'm still forbidden from disclosing anything that you told me in confidence while I was your attorney. In contrast, Kim and Jimmy's marriage when it ends kim could be compelled to reveal confidential communications that occurred during the marriage therefore she would be a valuable witness to the authorities post breaking bad who are looking to learn more about walter white's fugitive lawyer yeah That's if she really survives this she could have been interrogated yeah i don't know how much she would know at that point depends on what the relationship is mm-hmm. but could be a lot could be nothing there are a lot of people speculating whether or not she was just kind of in the background mm-hmm. in Breaking Bad as Saul's wife. I kind of hope that's not the case, just from a female perspective, because we have a word for that. It's called fridging, and <laughs> I hate it. Yeah, I think she would be fridged for an entire series. <laughs> please, please, God, don't make it be that. I That's gross. Retroactively fridged. Ugh. It's retconning a fridge. Great. Just sitting in the corner, <laughs> sewing doilies or whatever, whatever women are allowed to do. Ugh, it's uh, gone. We got two more points here. And also, actually, I, I wanted to say that people have pointed out that Saul in Breaking Bad doesn't have a ring, mm-hmm. which they kind of neatly put a bow on here with saying them saying, no oh, we don't need rings. This is yeah. just like a formality kind of thing. Right. Interesting. The only ring he needs is a gross pinky ring to go with his gross cuticles. Mm-hmm. He has gross cuticles? Oh, yeah. So dry. He, he works in a spa, for God's sake. I know. How could his hands be so nasty? Sorry, Bob Odenkirk, but your hands are kind of dry. You need to hmm. use more lotion. All right. Number three. It's New Mexico. On I guess. Doug's list of uh, spousal privilege points. 
the communications have to be made in a way where there would be an expectation of privacy. So the conversation in the McGill Wexler apartment is privileged, but if Jimmy is talking to Kim on a cell phone in a public space where he could be easily overheard, his half of the conversation would not be privileged. So the part of his conversation that could be heard not on the phone yeah. would not be privileged. Yeah, that's I hmm. That makes I wonder sense. what value that could be. It depends on how specific the things he's saying are. Uh, number four, fun fact, New Mexico abolished the spousal privilege in 2019. All right, then we're going to move on to our last email from Amber. And I wanted to kind of save this for the end because it's something that we haven't... I think we might have specifically addressed this, but I've seen a lot, a lot of people writing into us and talking about this on Reddit and other places. Uh, still wondering about this point, so I'm going to go over it one more time. Uh, Amber asks, uh, says, what I noticed... Still hasn't been discussed, so I thought I would throw it out there. A couple episodes ago, when Hank and Gomez bust Fring's guys, there's a very intentional scene where they're counting the money that they were able to seize, and they deliberately say that they confiscated seven hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just paraphrase the rest. The that seven hundred thousand number is the same number that Hank mentions that they took off the the drug dealers in episode one of Breaking Bad during uh, Walt's birthday party. Right. So a lot of people are wondering, like, is this placing, you know, Better Call Saul in the timeline of Breaking Bad now? Are they are they converged here? And I just want to make it clear. No, we are still like four years out from where Mm -hmm. Breaking Bad picks up. I think we did speculate on that in a previous episode. Police investigations aren't super cut and dry always, Mm -hmm. especially whenever they are trying to go after a big organization. It often starts small and then it builds over the course of years. So maybe that could be the same bus that that they're talking about, but it wouldn't be, it would be something that had happened three years ago, not yesterday. Especially if, yeah, like you said, this is an ongoing thing. Like I I look at, I mean, any documentary, the most recent one that I've watched that's an investigative documentary is the McMillions thing (laughs) where, you know, their, their investigation. Yeah. They, they collect information. They probably make some busts and some arrests and, take in some, you know, drugs and money and stuff, but the investigation continues, right? That's just like the first, the beginning stages of it. And then they try and roll everybody up in this investigation. And I think only once the investigation is complete and your operations are, you know, winding down, do you go to the press and start saying, hey, we took 700,000 bucks and yeah all this stuff which i don't know that might imply that this is the biggest bus they make until that I was point just which thinking, is sad. that's actually kind of sad like no okay yeah. maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense a couple of retrospect. three low-level dealers and running like, down stash of cash which is one-tenth of what all throwing in bail money like mm-hmm. the sorry <laughs> yeah so i, I don't it, it definitely doesn't place us anywhere near breaking bad yet no we know from timelines that we've seen online and also they have said multiple times. Actually, as of this episode, we know that we are in May of 2004. And that's not that's not Breaking Bad yet. How did I miss that? He was on the paperwork or something. Okay. Or I saw it on a website and didn't double check the veracity of it. That's that's also possible. Could be. Uh, but that's it. That's it for our podcast. I want to thank everybody for joining us this week. We're, of course, going to be back next week with more Better Call Saul uh, if you would like to send in emails, you can do so at bcs at baldmove.com. Like you said, next week might be a real banger. 
Could be a real Next banger. Week could be the culmination of everything we've been seeing for five seasons. Probably not, uh, but it'll be exciting, and we'll be back here to cover it. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Alexis. <laughs>